0: Support for Innovation Hub comes from Mimecast. Nearly 30,000 companies worldwide use Mimecast to help prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, phishing, and impersonation attacks. Mimecast, committed to making emails safer for business. Mimecast.com Support for Innovation Hub comes from the Greken Center for Addiction at Boston Medical Center, making long-term recovery a reality for patients like Cassie, who now supports others struggling with the disease. You can see Cassie's story and learn more at bmcaddiction.org. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. There's a cartoon that's been making the rounds recently. It's from 1941, and it's of a mom reading a book called Adolf the Wolf to her kids. The kids are horrified, but mom's pretty happy. She's wearing a sweater that says America First, and she tells her kids how the wolf ate up a whole bunch of little children. But she says those were foreign children, and so it didn't really matter. That cartoon was done by the cartoonist Theodore Geisel, who himself would go on to write real children's books like The Cat in the Hat, Green Eggs and Ham, under the pen name Dr. Seuss. Geisel was staunchly opposed to turning away Jewish refugees from America. He was also against racial discrimination at home because after all, he figured we were fighting it abroad. But, and this goes to show how complicated fear and people and immigration are. Geisel did not believe in equality for Japanese Americans. He was suspicious of them. His cartoons depict them as pawns of Japan hoping to cripple America from the inside out. With talk of immigration and immigrants everywhere now, we wanted to ask two big questions in this week's show. How have immigrants changed innovation in America and what do we stand to lose if they're increasingly either kept out of the country or they're just too scared to come in? Walter Isaacson has written about immigrants like Albert Einstein, as well as Steve Jobs, who's famously the son of a Syrian immigrant. He's also the president and CEO of the Aspen Institute. Walter,
1: good to have you back on the show. It's great to be back on the show. Thank you.
0: So let's go back to the 30s and 40s, which I was talking about um, for a minute, um, to this other major refugee crisis that America faced. And you've written, as I said, about one of the most famous immigrants to come out of that crisis, Albert Einstein. How did Einstein get here? Just give me a sense of that moment.
1: In the 1930s, when anti-Semitism was arising in Germany, he had been traveling to Caltech, to the United States, And he suddenly realized that, well, I shouldn't go back to Germany again. What's interesting is Hitler and the rise of Hitler had led to the expulsion of a whole lot of great scientists like Einstein, Enrico Fermi, Niels Bohr ended up having to leave. What do they have in common? They end up inventing the atomic bomb. And I think if uh, Germany had not frightened them away, they would have stayed in Germany.
0: Right. Okay. So so give me a sense of like, amongst uh, citizens of America at that time, what was the feeling like about admitting refugees? And how would you compare sort of the American public with politicians? Was there a divide between sort of how everyday ordinary Americans felt about bringing in refugees and how politicians felt?
1: Well, there was a divide and there was an America First movement, which is why the use of America First uh, by the current president uh, can be unnerving to people who know history, because that phrase, America First, was meant to stop uh, America from admitting refugees, was against Jewish refugees, was against any involvement in the European conflict. Uh, And people like Charles Lindbergh, who were great American heroes, were part of the America First movement. In fact, when Einstein wanted to warn President Roosevelt that it was possible to build an atom bomb and that Germany may be doing it, they couldn't figure out how to get a letter to Roosevelt. And some of the Jewish scientists said, well, maybe they should ask Lindbergh to do it, not knowing that Lindbergh was part of the America First movement. And then Lindbergh made one of his notorious speeches and Einstein wrote to his friend uh, Enrico Fermi and others who were involved in this issue, well, I guess Lindbergh is not our man.
0: Hmm. Uh, so knowing history as you do, having written a huge book about Einstein, when you first heard uh, ca- then-candidate Trump um, using this phrase, America first, which obviously has this uh, history, he didn't just you know make it up, what did you think?
1: I could not figure out when Donald Trump uh, started using the phrase America first, he did it in an interview where somebody had uh, thrown out that phrase. I didn't know whether he was ignorant of the historical connotations of America first, which would be forgivable. I mean, most people don't uh, study the 30s and its politics, or whether he had done it intentionally, knowing mm-hmm. the resonance of that phrase. I tend to think it was unintentional. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. What I can understand is why he keeps emphasizing that phrase, knowing uh, how, uh, how uh, sort of controversial and abhorrent it is to those, especially uh, who were refugees from the Nazis and to Jews and others for whom it meant to keep people like them out of the country.
0: So if we if we go back for a minute to Einstein and the war and then after the war. One thing that really happened after the war, obviously there was tons of technology that arose to help the war effort. You were talking about the the bomb, which is a very notable one, but but America's tech industry also took off after the war. And I wonder how if at all that is connected to people who immigrated to the U.S. during the war or refugees?
1: I think it was immigrants and refugees during the war who helped do things like the atom bomb project that helped win the war. It was also refugees like that all the way through the beginning of Silicon Valley, people like Andy Grove who had escaped the Nazis and then escaped the Communists, who came over and figured out that the scientific principles that Einstein had discovered, uh, including the application of quantum theory to uh, semiconducting materials, could lead to things like transistors and eventually microchips. And so you have an entire explosion of American creativity, largely driven by the great work of immigrants and refugees. And that continued and continues to this day. You look at Sergey Brand, You look at the head of Microsoft. You look at the head of Google at the moment. You look at uh, even Steve Jobs, whose father was a Syrian refugee. These great companies have been uh, propelled by the power of immigration and refugees.
0: How did uh, somebody like Andy Grove, who, who um, helped found Intel, how did he get to America?
1: Andy Grove has a wonderful memoir called Swimming Across, and he actually did have to swim across rivers. He had to escape as a young kid to make it to America. Uh, He was from Hungary. He was able to survive the Nazis as a very young boy. But then when the communists come in, he finally escaped. And America has always been there for somebody like an Andy Grove escaping oppression, escaping tyranny. And the payback for America is not just a moral payback, it's an economic payback when people like that become founders of uh, companies like Intel.
0: I'm Kara Miller, you're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm talking with author Walter Isaacson about the role of immigration in America's tech revolution. So, I mean, I think we think of Silicon Valley and California as kind of being the epicenter of where tech comes from. But this is really a global business, certainly has global reach. When you think about the impact of increasing travel restrictions, some bans, um, what kind of impact do you think it's going to have? Because, you know, technology isn't done. There's new generations of technology to come.
1: Take your iPhone out of your pocket or your Android device or whatever try to imagine the supply chain the supply chain spans the world you know if we think it's hard to make a pencil meaning you have to have the lead and the wood and the paint and it has to do imagine what it's like to do all the components of a great piece of technology and that really becomes a global intertwined business just like making automobiles is when you disrupt that global nature you're in jeopardy of destroying the entire ecosystem that leads to innovation.
0: Well, you talk to other people, both in Washington and in Silicon Valley. Um, what have you heard from them?
1: Well, obviously, the Silicon Valley people, whether it's been Jeff Bezos or the lead, uh, Amazon or the leaders of Google and Apple and uh, Microsoft have been very strong in saying if you cut off refugees, and this includes H-1B visa holders, in other words, highly skilled people get visas, but if you just cut off all forms of refugees and immigration, we're not going to have the talent pool to be innovative in the future. But it's not just high-tech industries. Let's look at that. I talked to the head of Ford Motor Company, and then the head of General Motors. Both were in Washington this weekend. You're not going to lead us into the revolution of driverless cars, for example, unless we can have the best brains in the world, be able to come to America, and also have the diversity of people that form America's great, you know, ferment of creativity.
0: What do you think, if you think about the weeks and months, and like even years to come, what do you think will happen when it comes to um, bringing people in from from other places? And as you know, we've been talking about particularly uh, into innovation and into kind of like creating the the jobs and the technology of the future.
1: America's always had a history of welcoming refugees and welcoming, welcoming immigrants and those people adding to the economy but it's also true since the know-nothings as they were called in the 19th century and the american firsters of the 1930s that there has been at times a nativist resentment against uh, immigration Uh, we've always had to balance these things albert einstein during the 1950s when we were going through a mccarthy period and uh, a lot of turmoil that reminds us of today Uh, wrote to his son and said, I've seen this happen before. This is what happened in Nazi Germany. This is what happened with communism. And then a couple years later, after McCarthy had been knocked off the stage by Eisenhower and others, Einstein writes his son and says, you know, American democracy is like a gyroscope. You think it's going to fall over, but somehow it's able to right itself. I think America will right itself.
0: Do you worry that even... When whatever bans and you know come to an end, let's let's assume they do. They're they're temporary. That maybe some restrictions expire. Do you worry that there's a perception problem too?
1: I think America has done itself lasting damage that will linger for quite a while, even if this travel bans are lifted. Which is America has always attracted the best, most wonderful. Coolest, most innovative, creative people, because it seemed like a society that wants you to go there. We're in a competition against China. When you start throwing Mexico into the embraces of China as part of their trade system, when you start telling people around the world you're better off studying at Oxford than at Stanford, or you're better off uh, going to Asia rather than the United States. We're going to lose uh, the competition in this world of being the most productive, creative, innovative economy.
0: Walter Isaacson is the author of The Innovators, Einstein and Steve Jobs, among other books. And he's also president and CEO of the Aspen Institute. Walter, thank you very much.
1: It's great being back with you again.
0: Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through ConnectInvest to help you build a better tomorrow. CambridgeSavings.com slash CSB1.